Thank you for listening to the Sacred Commons podcast. If you want to help support us in this work, please visit our website. If anything, just check it out. But if you feel inclined to give, you can do so by visiting thesacredcommons.com. Click on Give. Every single cent has an immediate impact and helps us continue to do this. Jesus said, I say to you that, listen, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. If anyone strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from anyone who takes away your coat, do not withhold even your shirt. Give to everyone who begs from you. And if anyone takes away your goods, do not ask for them again. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those from whom you hope to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much again. But love your enemies, do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. Your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, for He is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For the measure you give will be the measure you get back. The Gospel of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. I want to begin by starting with a complaint. And that is, uh, I don't like Bob Ross. And Bob Ross was this painter that everyone seems to love. He had an afro. He was a, a white dude, but he had this big, curly, poofy afro. And he painted these landscape pictures. You guys remember Bob Ross? Here's why I didn't like him, uh, and, and I'm being a little bit of a jokester right now, but he would start off painting, if you remember Bob Ross, and every time he would make something look really nice in the beginning, it would look wonderful, and then he would just strike it. He would just paint over the very thing that you thought was wonderful, and it would go from looking good to looking bad. He would take this painting, and all of a sudden it would look good, but then he'd make it look bad again, up, down, up, down. You thought it was looking good. He would ruin it. But somehow by the end of the painting, you know, he would have these 30-minute TV things, these TV shows that he would paint in front of you. By the end, it would work out, but you had to wait for it. Here's another thing I don't like. I, I don't like speed painters. If you don't know what speed painters are, they start off painting upside down, and it looks absolutely a mess. But then maybe at the last 15 seconds, they'll turn the painting right side up, and it'll go from looking chaotic and upside down to, okay, now that's making sense. But you have to be willing to wait for it. Uh, and that's probably the hardest thing for someone like myself. I want it to look good from beginning to end. I want it to make sense from beginning to end. I don't want to wait for this picture mm, to start looking good. I want it to look good now. But a lot of times, it won't look good at all until the master artist is done. And when the master builder, the master artist is finished in the end, it'll make sense. Joseph is like this in that he's a painful story to encounter. He's a painful uh, character to witness because everything initially seems upside down with Joseph. He gets sold into slavery. Now let's get one thing straight. He was a brat. He liked to brag in front of everybody. He would brag in front of his brothers and say, 
yeah, I had a dream and all your sheaves were bowing down to mine. And he was always just claiming the greater position in his visions. I think dreamers are like that. Dreamers come into the world and they envision a future that is different than the present. And everybody who lives in the present, when they hear about this, it seems so incongruent that they immediately have a bad reaction to the dreamer. So Joseph was both a brat, but he was also right. And that's tough. And because of that, his brothers threw him in a pit. They told his dad that he was dead, sold him off into slavery. But if I want to actually focus on, if you look back at Genesis 45, verses 3 through 11, you'll see there in the lectionary a line that uh, is kind of troublesome to me. And I want you to read along with me if you can. Where Joseph says, do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. He says it again later on. He says, so it was not you who sent me here, but God. Uh, the reason why that bothers me a little bit is because it almost sounds as if he's saying that God did this. It almost sounds as if he's saying that God did this to me, that God is in control, that God made this happen. But that is not what Joseph is saying. And I want to make this very clear. Joseph is not saying that God did this. He is actually practicing that I found out is called Semitic dualistic contrast. First of all, imagine you're the brothers who hated Joseph and you were one of the ones that threw him in the pit and pretended that he was dead. Uh, when you hear Joseph say, don't worry because you didn't do this, God did this, you would say, no, we did this. <laughs> like, let's not get it twisted. This is something we did. But yet Joseph takes the truth that they did this and yet he recognizes in this contrasting moment that God was actually able to work this out for the good. And that's different than saying God is in control. It's different to say that God worked this out for the good in the end than saying God is in control. So I want to just share something that might be a little bit controversial, but I got this from two people, Dr. Green, Chris Green, and, and Walter Brueggemann. And whenever you have those two together, you know you're not going to miss the mark. Like that's... It's good work to pull from. I'm going to say this, and I, I hope you hear my heart. God is not in control. God is sovereign. And it's very, very important that we recognize the difference between God being in control versus God being sovereign. God is not in control. God is sovereign. If God is in control, then God is directly responsible for the evil taking place in this world. And that's a problem. When theologians talk about this, it's called theodicy. When we talk about evil existing in the same presence as an omnipotent God, how do we reconcile this? Well, if you say God is in control, then you're basically saying that God has made this thing happen. And whenever we encounter evil, that's a hard thing to get over. Whereas if we say God is sovereign, we're saying something else altogether. It's it's a more faithful way of talking about God. And here's why this matters. I'm going to get a little bit personal, but this happened to me this week. Sometimes we, you and I, when we look at the world and we look at everything that's going on and we assess the situation, either in our own lives or in the lives of people that we know and love, have you ever stepped back and said, they're too good of a person for something like that to happen to them? Why... 
this is upside down. Why would God do this? Why would God let this happen? Um, and you just you get frustrated. You're not going to offend God. You can be mad. You're not going to surprise God with that. I had a friend. Her name was Amy, and she passed away this week. And we had been praying for a long time, years, that God would heal her body. She's a mother of three. She's got young children. But I can only speak about her in the aspect that I knew her. You know, I'm a Pentecostal church boy. And whenever Pentecostal church boys and girls start to reimagine things theologically, you'll quickly discover <laughs> that, like Joseph, people don't like dreamers. Um, and they're looking for pits when you start describing a reality that's different than the one that they have known. But there was a person in my life, in a lot of people's lives, who was what we call, she was a safe space. Amy was a safe space. She was deconstructing theologically way before the rest of us. She went to Princeton Theological Seminary. She, she actually was a judge. She went to law school. She was amazing. And every time we had these new ideas, we would go to Amy when we would see her. And in 15 minutes, she would make you feel safe. She would make you feel heard. She would fill you up with faith and let you know that everything's going to be all right. She would share some wisdom and say, I like the direction you're going in. You need to read these people. If anything, she would just give you courage. And she would say, keep going. Keep going. The last time I saw her, those were her words to me. And when she died this week, I cussed at God. Because of that very reason, that theodicy came into my mind. How? Why? Um, I talked to my sister, who happened to know her too, and Jackie's crying on the phone, and she said, man, why this one? She was a good one. And that's selfish, because to be honest with you, the, the people who really are feeling it the most would be her children and her family. But, you know, like as friends, we just really, we were attached to Amy in a, in a unique way. We didn't see her too often, but when we did, man, so much faith in her. And she ended up becoming a Presbyterian uh, minister because Princeton Theological Seminary is a Presbyterian institution. But for all of us who came from that place, we were Pentecostal church kids who migrated a little bit theologically. She was the one we could go to, and she was safe. And I found myself crying on my bed, and I said, I cussed. I don't think God was offended at all. Um, how many times do we experience that in our own lives or in the lives of other people when we see them go through something or when we go through something and we say, why, God? How? Why? Why this? Why did you let this happen? And it's okay to be angry. Um, I think we all know this, that our anger is a misunderstanding of what the promises of God really are. God never promised us that we would go through this life without suffering. He never promised that we would go through this life without hardship. And all of our anger is simply because of our false expectations. And also the fact that we only know in part. But what do you say to people when they go through these experiences? What do you say to the mother in Youngstown here a few weeks ago who lost three babies in a fire? Do you go up to her and say, God is in control? Do you go up to her and say, 
God did this for a reason. Do you go up to her and say, God has a plan? When you walk into the pediatric unit of a hospital, do you go up to those parents and you say, God is in control? I don't think so. Instead, God is sovereign. And and let me just set us free tonight. I, I created this tension. Let me try to help relieve it. Here's how Chris Green defines God's sovereignty. He says this, God acts in this time. He is sovereign and he acts in this time. But until the end of everything, and that's key, until the end of everything, God never does everything that God can do until the end. Basically saying God never acts fully. Here's another way of saying it. God is active, but God is not doing everything God can do yet. And this is the tension that we live into. This is what we have to live within, this tension that that God is acting and God can act and God will act, but he hasn't acted fully yet. You understand what I'm saying? He hasn't acted fully yet. And I was talking to my spiritual director this week, and I was, I was complaining, I was griping, I was crying. The complaints that I had were more personal about things going on in my own life. We all have complaints. But when I was complaining to her, she made me laugh. She said, oh, I got good news and bad news for you. She said, the good news is, next year, these problems won't be an issue. And then she said, the bad news is, you'll have your own set of new issues next year, Right? And so this is both the good news and the bad news. Are you like me? Have you ever waited for life to get good, for life to be free of worry? And then you realize if you have a heart, that's never going to happen. Because either you're going to be going through something or someone else is going to be going through something. But that moment never fully arrives. What that means is that we have to live into the tension of the now, realizing that God is acting, God can and will act. But he has not fully acted yet. I'm going somewhere with this. Everything that God has done fully has been revealed in Jesus Christ. But we are not Jesus, which means that we live by faith and not by sight. Trusting, not fully knowing, but trusting until the end of all things that we are going to wait for it. Because right now in the situation, it seems upside down. I don't know if I'm going to be able to make it to Amy's funeral next week. But if I do go, I am not going to walk up to her family and say, God's plan. I'm not going to walk up to her family and say, God does everything for a reason. All you can do in that moment is weep and cry and be with them. And when the time is right, encourage them that God hasn't acted fully yet. Basically, here's what I'm saying. Amy's story is not over yet. Because we are a people of resurrection. That's what Paul was saying, that God is not through acting on this yet. If you look at Corinthians, the text from today, that's what Paul's saying, that we are a people of resurrection. And this means that we're going to live through both uncomfortable, unfortunate moments, and you can deal with that. The uncomfortable moments in life, you can deal with it. But it also means you're going to have to live through evil. I don't know if you've encountered evil, if someone has wronged you to that degree. But when you go through evil, that is difficult. And I would say the only way you can make it through that is if you open up your heart to the Holy Spirit. And you allow the Holy Spirit to get you through it. 
That's what it means to have faith. That you trust that when God is through being God, the evil that you experience will be made right. Not forgotten, not brushed over, but that when God is through with being God, basically saying in the end, when he brings everything back together in that resurrected sense, that everything is going to be made right. That's the point of the resurrection, that this is going to be made right. And if that doesn't happen, then our hope is in vain. This is what I tell people. If you don't believe in the resurrection, there are many better options for you as a spiritual being than Christianity. But if you want to be a Christian, you have to believe in the resurrection. That's the crucial hinge that all of this is centered upon. If, If you don't believe in the resurrection, then our faith is in vain. That's what Paul was trying to tell the church in Corinth. This is why the heart of the prophetic Old Testament accounts The prophets will rise up and say, how long, Lord? And then in the New Testament, it doesn't change. We have the word Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus, come. We want God to set all of these things right. But it's going to take patience, and that patience is going to produce the character that you need. Joseph had character in the end. He was able to love his enemies. We read it from Luke. He was able to look at his brothers and say, hey, you sold me into slavery. You threw me in a pit. You told dad I was dead. That's not cool. You did me wrong. But in the end, he said, I don't want you to worry about it. Don't be distressed over this. He forgives his brothers. He loves his brothers. But you know how that arrived? That didn't come through the power of the Holy Spirit. That character didn't come through the Holy Ghost. That character came through suffering. And that's what Paul tells us. The only thing that can develop patience and and character, in Romans he tells us this, is suffering. That's why we literally glory in suffering, because we know that suffering develops endurance, and endurance develops perseverance, and perseverance develops character, and character develops hope. Chris Green said it, and I love this. He said, you will never develop Christian character by coming to the altar and having somebody lay hands on you. You don't receive character by coming to the altar and someone praying for you. You don't receive character by reading devotional books. You don't receive character by listening to praise and worship in your car. You don't don't develop character that way. You develop character one way. There's one road to character, and that is you've suffered. And in the suffering, God starts to develop his character in you. Let me make my way out. So what do you do with the paintings that seem to be a mess? What do you do when Bob Ross is talking about happy trees, but you don't see happy trees? All you see is a bunch of oil spattered on a canvas It looks upside down. What do you do with the speed painter's painting that is just chaotic and and messy? I mean, that's why it drives me nuts, to be honest with you. When I watch these speed painters paint, Diana gives me a hard time. I will just turn away. I'll go to the kitchen. I'll get myself a snack. I'm not interested in speed painting because I want it to make sense now. But hear the word of the Lord. Wait for it. Because in the end, that's the hope that we have. That all things are going to be made new. That in the end, everything that was upside down will be turned right side up. In the end, everything that was broken will be healed. He will wipe every tear away from every single eye. Health will be present. Amy's story is not over yet. And I'm not trying to rush into triumph here. I'm not trying to bypass the suffering in the morning that we're going to experience for the next few weeks, months, years as we miss our friend. I was asked, how are you going to make this experience holy when I was talking about that with my spiritual director? I was mourning, I was crying, angry. And she said to me, how are you going to make this holy? 
And I told her I'm going to make it holy by telling Amy's story and by saying that her story is not over yet. So this is different than saying God is in control. This is different than saying God did this for a reason or God has a plan. This is saying that even when your brothers throw you into a pit, lie to your daddy, and you wind up a slave and in prison, that in the end, like Joseph, you can say, God used this for life. God used this to preserve. If you look at the text, he said, God sent me here to preserve life. He loved his enemies. That character came from suffering and patience. He was no longer the brat. Still was good with dreams, but he was no longer the brat. Death will be defeated. Sin will be defeated. All this pain and suffering will be no more. Every wrong will be made right. We'll know joy like we've never known it before. But you got to wait for it. When we pray for people, oh man, this is when it gets hard. You have some folks who really believe this, that if they have enough faith, that God will will heal them. But they have to have enough faith. They turn faith into this sort of efficacious, uh, it's almost like a merit that they feel that they can conjure up. If I have enough faith, then it's my faith, not God's goodness, but it's my faith that's going to heal me. That's not faithful at all. (laughs) You're trusting in your own trusting, not trusting in God. Let me break for a second. I had my bishop tell me one time, I said, I have to go pray with this sick person. And he said, okay, make sure that the first question you ask them is, are you ready to die? It shocked me because I I don't, my brain doesn't think that way. I'm not going to walk into a hospital room and say, are you ready to die? But I get why my bishop wanted me to ask that question. Because that's probably the most faithful question you can ask to someone who really believes. Are you, do you really believe that death has been swallowed up by death in Jesus Christ? Are you, are you afraid or do you have this sort of sense in, in the, at the depth of your heart, in the depth of your soul? Do you have this sense that God is good and that in the end, no matter how this moment looks, right? No matter how the painting looks, it's upside down, it's splattered, it's messed up. But if you can look at this painting and say, it looks bad right now, but I trust that in the end, if I'm willing to wait for it, God's going to turn this thing right. Make this thing right. Live into the tension. God is good and he is good all the time. But we must be willing to accept portraits of our life, scripts almost, stories of our lives that seem to be a little bit of a mess. That's that's living into the end right there. And that's called an eschatological imagination. When you can say to God, I I don't know how this is going to play out. I don't know exactly what's going to happen here. But I trust in you. And I know that in the end, all things are going to work out for the good. And that there's life waiting on the other side of this. Let me close by saying I hate open-ended movies. I hate open-ended books. My wife loves them. Diana loves them. It's a big contentious thing between the two of us. We will watch a show or a film. And at the end of the film, if there's no resolution, I'm mad. I'm upset. I get up. I go into my room. I don't want to be bothered because this is the... It was a great film up until that moment, and I'll walk away from it saying, oh, it was so good. Why did they have to ruin it? Now, she has the opposite reaction. If there's an open ending to a film, she stands up, she applauds. She, she wants everybody to agree with her. This was awesome. This is the way movies should end. This is the way stories should end. 
And we disagree. We agree to disagree. But I will say this. I think God is totally cool with open endings. And I have to be okay with that because my friend Amy is an open ending. And I don't, like right now, I can't make sense out of this. And I'm not, I'm not capable of doing that. But here's where I put my trust. I put my trust in that even though I don't know why and I don't know how, I trust that God is somehow going to weave this together in the end for the good and that life is going to be the end result. And so if your life right now looks like an open-ended script and you thought, you know, I saw my life going a different way. I had my life scripted out a different way. I had an agreeable outcome. I thought that, you know, my children would be well-formed. For example, a lot of people, they, they get broken over what happens to their children, what happens to their children's life. They thought they would be well-formed, well-fed, well-educated, in shape. They would become doctors, lawyers, professors, engineers, famous people, successful people. And it's almost like we don't know what to do when that doesn't happen. Uh, for our families, we expect four-bedroom, two-car, you know, two-bath, happily married, healthy, well, well-prepared with a 401k, security and happiness. But what do you do when it doesn't go as planned? And with our own lives, we expect that when we're single, we're going to be given or we'll meet a beautiful, intelligent, caring person and everything will be complimentary in our lives. Between the two of us, you know, she'll compliment me well, I will compliment her well. And then when it doesn't end up happening that way, when things don't go as planned and our lives are open-ended, we don't know what to do. But here's the only thing I can share with you and that I was told, preach your own healing. So this is a moment for me to preach healing to myself and a moment to preach healing to you. Trusting God, he's working it out. And I wanna just share that. I know it seems real simple, but I wanna share that with you as we close this. He's working it out, gotta wait for it. (laughs) If things seem upside down, just wait for it. It's gonna be all right. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace.